Thank you for watching NTD Business. Coming up tonight, Elon Musk says he will step down as Twitter's CEO if he can find someone to take the job. So who could replace him? We take a look at some possible candidates. Former President Donald Trump's tax information has been released. A House committee made public a 40-page report covering six years of his taxes. And lawmakers introduced an enormous government funding bill. We take a look under the hood to see what's in it. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Don Ma here. FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried, or SBF, might return to the U.S. as early as today. He faces fraud charges over his crypto firm's collapse. In a hearing this morning in the Bahamas, his lawyers said SBF agreed to be extradited to the U.S. Last week, federal prosecutors charged him with defrauding FTX investors and customers. They accused him of organizing, quote, one of the biggest financial frauds in American history. SBF has recognized risk management failures at FTX, but said he doesn't think he has criminal liability. Once he's in the U.S., he'll appear before a judge in Manhattan for a bail hearing. If, if convicted on all eight charges and fraud and conspiracy, he could face life in prison. And Elon Musk says he's looking for someone to replace him as Twitter's chief executive. Now, if you're thinking of sending him your resume, NTD's Sean Marshall has some details on possible candidates and requirements for the position. Elon Musk's infamous Twitter poll asking whether he should step down as CEO is still garnering much attention. But who should or is willing to do it? Musk has previously said he wants a technologist, someone with talents across software and servers to take on the role, given those areas are at the core of Twitter's business. Musk himself tweeted, I will resign as CEO as soon as I find someone foolish enough to take the job. After that, I will just run the software and servers teams. In the early days after Musk's takeover of Twitter, he created a war room or fix-it committee to revamp the platform. It included Jason Calacanis, an investor and podcaster, and former PayPal executive David Sachs. According to Bloomberg, people familiar with the situation said Sachs and Calacanis were given internal accounts and helped identify those deemed talented enough to stay on at Twitter. They were also part of the initial pitch to advertisers in an effort to stem the flow of clients pulling ads. Both Calacanis and Sachs have denied ever holding a former role at the company. Some Twitter users have speculated about other possible leaders for the social media company, including Donald Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who was spotted watching the World Cup with Musk over the weekend. Kushner is friendly with the Saudi royal family, one of Twitter's largest investors. Prior to working as an advisor in Trump's White House, Kushner worked for his family's real estate development company, and last year he said he would leave politics and start an investment firm. Kushner also previously owned the weekly newspaper, The New York Observer. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And we continue with the latest installment of the so-called Twitter Files, which was released Tuesday. It shows the so- how the social media platform quietly aided U.S. intelligence officials' campaigns. Here's the story. Journalist Lee Fong released part eight of the Twitter files on Tuesday. In a lengthy thread that was reposted by Twitter owner Elon Musk, Fang wrote that despite promises to shut down covert state-run propaganda networks, Twitter docs show that the social media giant directly assisted the U.S. military's influence operations. The files include screenshots of messages from U.S. Central Command, or CENTCOM, to Twitter. 
Fang wrote, in 2017, a CENTCOM official sent Twitter a list of 52 Arab language accounts we use to amplify certain messages. The official asked for priority service for six accounts, verification for one, and whitelist abilities for the others. The thread continued. The same day CENTCOM sent the list, Twitter officials used a tool to grant a special whitelist tag that essentially provides verification status to the accounts without the blue check, meaning they are exempt from spam or abuse flags, more visible or likely to trend on hashtags. According to Fang, those accounts primarily posted about U.S. operations in the Middle East, including promoting messages targeting Iran and the Saudi war in Yemen. CENTCOM then appeared to make the accounts look unconnected to the U.S. Fang said according to records he viewed, many of these accounts continued tweeting throughout this year, and some were not suspended until May 2022 or later. The report concluded that Twitter actively assisted CENTCOM's network going back to 2017, and as late as 2020 knew these accounts were covert or designed to deceive to manipulate the discourse, a violation of Twitter's policies and promises. They waited years to suspend. Fang added that he was given access to Twitter for a few days, but Twitter had no input into this report. We reached out to CENTCOM for their response and are still waiting to hear back. Donald Trump's tax information has been released. The House and Ways and Means Committee voted to release a report on his returns yesterday. It includes key numbers from Trump's tax filings for over six years, starting from 2015. The committee will later release his actual returns, which involve hundreds and hundreds of pages. The report shows that Trump was losing money even before he became president. He had losses in the millions of dollars in four out of the six years. In real estate, he consistently lost money in all six years. The majority of his earnings come from interest and capital gains, which is the profit from the sale of property or some other investment. In total, this would be $53 million in net losses, and out of that, he paid $1.8 million in taxes. Trump, though, paid literally no taxes in 2015 before he became president, and he paid virtually no taxes in 2018 and 19, which, he was, which was during the middle of his presidency. In 2020, Trump even got a hefty tax refund of $5 million. Russell Gray, co-host of the Real Estate Guys radio show, believes Trump used the tax code the way it's supposed to be used. As someone who also works in the real estate industry, Gray says the code was written this way to encourage more investment. One key part of the code Trump used is called carry-forward losses. In order to incentivize private investors, private business people to invest capital and take a risk on a venture, they're offered the opportunity to write those losses off and carry them forward against future businesses that do work out. Judging on what I've seen, it looks like he's actually received refunds in the millions of dollars. What Gray is concerned about is that politicians may change the tax laws to punish Trump. He says this would affect not only the rich people on Wall Street, but also the normal people on Main Street. I really don't care what goes on in the halls of Washington. If they want to beat each other up and call each other names and and impugn each other's character, God bless them. Go for it. Have fun. But when you start changing the law and going after the things that make the Main Street economy work, that incentivize people, investors uh, and business people to take the risks that build the infrastructure and create the jobs, uh, that, that starts to become concerning. 
Certified public accountant Omar Ochoa says that it's currently difficult to piece together the whole story with just this report. We would need all his tax returns, all the hundreds upon hundreds of pages. There's going to be outrage from people that the president, uh, you know, reportedly a billionaire uh, with lots of properties, is not paying much in taxes and, in fact, got more from the IRS than what was paid into it personally. Uh, So you're definitely going to see that come out. But I think, you know, on the other side of that, uh, people will be saying that this is a normal part of real estate business. There's ups and downs. Uh, the tax code, you know, has been written this way for decades to encourage business development, business growth. Now, tax returns are supposed to be private according to federal law. Exposing someone's tax returns could earn you up to five years in prison. Though there are exceptions, including if the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee asks for them. In this case, Democrat Chairman Richard Neal did just that. Neil says Trump's full returns will soon be released as sensitive information is edited out, such as PIN and Social Security numbers. We'll keep you updated on the story. And congressional leaders have unveiled a $1.7 trillion bill to fund the government. We took a look at the bill and examined some of its standout items. NTD's Daniel Monahan has the story. This spending season, instead of naughty and nice, Santa brought everyone something, regardless of price. Senate Democrats are calling on quick passage of the spending package before government funding expires on Friday. This package represents an aggressive and essential investment in American families, American workers, and in our national defense. The bill includes a nearly 10% boost in defense spending and roughly $40 billion to assist communities across the country recovering from drought, hurricanes, and other natural disasters. It also includes another large round of aid to Ukraine. Providing assistance for the Ukrainians to defeat the Russians, that's the number one priority for the United States right now. Lawmakers are working to stuff as many priorities as they can into what is likely to be the last major bill of the current Congress. Senator Patty Murray says the spending package will increase Pell Grants by $500. Well, for students who are struggling to cover tuition or rent, it means making ends meet just got a little bit easier. If the bill is successful, future elections may bear its mark. One of the most important pieces of this bill is the Electoral Count Act. Lawmakers contend that the bill would prevent a repeat of the January 6th Capitol breach. It would further specify that the role of the vice president in counting electoral votes is to be only ceremonial. No budget was found, just mischief and debt, while the taxpayers hung their poor heads and wept. Representative Dan Bishop shared what he called some of the most egregious provisions in the bill on Twitter. It allocates about $1.5 billion to Customs and Border Protection for border management requirements. However, it prohibits using those funds for acquiring, maintaining, or extending border security technology and capabilities, only permitting their use for border processing improvements. But at the same time, it stipulates that $410 million for enhanced border security for Jordan, Lebanon, Egypt, Tunisia, and Oman remain available until 2024. 
It also includes $3 million for what Bishop called bee-friendly highways, $65 million for Pacific salmon populations, and at least $575 million for family planning in areas where population growth threatens biodiversity. Lawmakers will race to complete passage before a midnight Friday deadline or face the prospect of a partial government shutdown going into the Christmas holiday. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. And Wall Street's main indexes rallied today. They were lifted by upbeat earnings and strong consumer confidence data. The Dow gained 527 points or one and six tenths of a percent. S&P added 57 points or one and a half percent. And the Nasdaq rose 162 points, also one and a half percent. But a different picture on the housing market. Sales of existing single-family homes fell to a two-and-a-half-year low in November as higher mortgage rates continue to squeeze the housing market. Sales have declined for 10 straight months. This is the longest stretch since 1999. The National Association of Realtors said today that existing home sales plunged 7.7% last month to their lowest level since May 2020. The decline in home sales is the direct result of the Federal Reserve's rate hikes. The central bank is trying to slow down inflation by bringing down demand for everything from housing to labor. And it seems like rate hikes are also bringing down car sales. Total retail sales for new vehicles in the U.S. are expected to decline this month. It's according to a report today from J.D. Power and LMC Automotive. High prices and rising borrowing costs have pushed consumers to cut back spending. According to the report, the average monthly payment for a new vehicle loan in December was $718. That's up 7% from a year ago. Retail sales of new vehicles this month are expected to be over 1 million units, down nearly 3% from just last year. Still, J.D. Power and LMC expect sales in the U.S. to increase next year. And many signs are pointing to an economic recession next year. And earlier I spoke to the chief economist at hedge fund Tresses to get his take on what a potential recession might look like. So thanks for joining me here, Daniel, today. Now, first question is, what signs are pointing to a recession that, that you're seeing? The first sign, obviously, is the yield curve. If we look at the inversion of the yield curve, which has always been a clear sign of the possibility of a recession, uh, almost 70% of the yield curve in the United States is already showing that signal. Uh, Also, the manufacturing side of the economy, I think that it's important to remember that we have seen a few months of very weak manufacturing data. Now, additionally, if we think about the environment for employment, it is true that uh, the jobs data is pretty robust. However, weakening is starting to show. For example, the labor participation rate and the employment to population rate have not improved for months. No? So I think that those uh, are elements that add to the concern of obviously rising mortgage rates and uh, rate hikes. You know, a, a lot of economists, uh, many different groups are saying recession very likely next year. But, but I want to be a little bit optimistic. In, in your opinion, what would be the best case scenario? Let's just imagine for a moment. Hmm. Well, I think that the best case scenario would be that inflation comes down quickly. The Fed then uh, stops 
rating stops hiking rates sorry uh, by May June and that in that uh, scenario the economy uh, starts to grow more rapidly into the third and the fourth quarter I think that the 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 best scenario would be certainly if we see inflation coming down quickly and that uh, eliminates the risk of the Fed taking more aggressive action. You know, commodity prices have been falling and supply chains easing uh, slightly. Should, should that give us some hope at least? Well, certainly the fact that we see commodity prices weakening and that in the middle of, uh, of the Ukraine invasion, because it it's going on. It's it's, it's ongoing. No, uh, oil prices are about to make a U-turn on the year, and we have seen cereal prices also come down significantly. All those are positive factors. However, the figure of inflation that was published for November is concerning because that already includes the slowdown and the, uh, and, the, and the reduction in some of the commodity prices. So I think that that's why the Fed gave a more hawkish tone in their last FOMC meeting and indicated that they would not cut rates until 2024. But certainly, if commodities continue to go down and we see commodities and also house prices coming down, that would certainly help. One more thing, Daniel. Uh, elsewhere, you said uh, recessions are the direct consequences of the stimulus plan. Just expand a little bit on that. Think about this. Uh, in 2020, uh, central banks and governments in, implemented an experiment that was extremely dangerous. They, uh, the central banks increased money supply in a way that was completely unprecedented, five times faster than in the 2009 uh, QE. And at the same time, governments massively increased government spending. So that generated the uh, a massive inflationary spiral that is working now as a boomerang. It's sort of like you have the backlash of those stimulus plans. If you think about this, it's like getting a huge uh, night out with, uh, with a massive uh, drinking binge and then suffering the hangover. We are suffering the hangover from those stimulus plans that delivered no real uh, long-term growth or certainly no multiplier effect, more debt more inflation, and now we are living the backlash, the hangover of stimulus plans. I see. All right. Thank you very much, Daniel Lacaye, Chief Economist at Tresis Hedge Fund. Pleasure speaking to you today. Thank you. And now to the entertainment industry. More than half a trillion dollars in market value have been erased from the world's biggest media companies this year, according to the Financial Times. Now, besides an advertising slowdown, rising competition and costs combined with reduced consumer spending could be the culprit here. Walt Disney shares down 45% this year, Paramount Global dropped 42%, Netflix 52%, Warner Brothers Discovery has tumbled 63%. Now, this is in stark contrast to the early days of the pandemic. Then lockdowns fueled a home entertainment boom at the time. In 2020, Netflix added a single-year record of 37 million subscribers, and Disney Plus hit 100 million subscribers in just 16 months. 
But now, recession fears have taken a toll on the streaming industry. Last quarter, four major players lost $3 billion altogether on their streaming services. That's including Disney, Warner Brothers Discovery, Comcast and Paramount. This is according to Bloomberg. Streaming cancellations are also soaring. According to research firm Antenna, in September, close to 6% of all customers canceled their service. That's almost double the rate from 2019. The services with the worst cancellation rates are Apple TV+, Peacock, Stars, Showtime, and Paramount+. Plus. Over the past few months, Disney, Paramount, Global, Warner Brothers, Discovery, Comcast, and AMC Networks have all announced layoffs, hiring freezes, and or restructuring heading into 2023. Returning Disney CEO Bob Iger has said that one of his top priorities is to make the company's streaming business profitable. Now, to cope with the challenges, several companies are turning to ad-supported streaming tiers. Disney Plus last week launched an ad version of its own service. Though Disney said it does not expect the ad-supported tier to have a meaningful impact until later next year. Disney is not alone in introducing this. Netflix, HBO Max, Paramount Plus, and Peacock also offer ad-supported versions of their streaming services. But Morgan Stanley analysts wrote in a report this week that if such moves can't deliver meaningful profits, the companies could be forced to give up or consolidate. And we're going to take a break now, but if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please email us at business at ntd.com. Still to come, with holiday shopping in full swing, is it a good idea to use buy now, pay later? And what are some of the benefits of using a credit card instead? And the most popular Instagram post ever by none other than soccer superstar Lionel Messi. How many likes did he get? That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Christmas and holiday shopping in full swing now, and consumers are figuring out how to pay for gifts. Buy now, pay later is an attractive option, but in some cases, using a credit card may be the better way to go. NTD's Andrew Thomas reports. According to Bankrate senior industry analyst Ted Rossman, buy now, pay later is a better method for specific purchases. Credit cards, on the other hand, are better for daily transactions. I think what a lot of people like, including higher income folks, is the ability to separate something from the rest of your finances and perhaps get same as cash financing or at least a low interest rate. The buy now, pay later model also appears as an attractive option for consumers. People are drawn to buy now, pay later because of the perceived affordability, the fact that This lets you spread purchases out, but you don't necessarily need a great credit score to qualify. Rossman notes that buy now, pay later is still debt. Credit cards at least offer consumers more benefits. If you can pay in full, I think credit cards are better because you get better rewards, you get better buyer protections. That's something that buy now, pay later lacks. You don't have as many protections when it comes to returns, disputes, fraud, other things like that. But inflation and high interest rates may be encouraging consumers to opt for buy now, pay later. Credit card rates are at their highest point since we started tracking them in 1985. So inflation and the Fed's 
rate hikes that are combating inflation, that's hurting credit card borrowers. And that's pushed rates up on average more than three percentage points just this year alone. Regardless of payment method, shoppers should plan ahead. I think being organized is the main thing, just really coming up with that list, coming up with that budget, sticking to it. As consumers rush to finish shopping, Santa Claus is busy trying to keep his elves and reindeer on the payroll amid inflation and economic uncertainty. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And Lionel Messi's Instagram post celebrating Argentina's World Cup win Sunday is now the most liked Instagram post ever. The soccer superstar posted several photos of himself from the game and celebrating the victory by lifting the World Cup trophy. The post is captured champions of the world and in it he thanked his family and supporters and wrote that he still can't believe it. Messi's popular post currently has more than 70 million likes. The 35-year-old led his national team to their first World Cup win ever by defeating France in penalty kicks. Previously, the world record-setting Instagram post was set in 2019. It's of an egg that got 57 million likes. And that's all the stories today from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. You can follow me on Twitter if you're there. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at NTD.com. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.